But we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. We're going to start with Luke chapter 9 today. And uh, I'm just going to read the first 10 verses. Luke chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 1 and going through to uh, verse 10. And he called the twelve together, that's Jesus and his twelve disciples, and he called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not even have two tunics apiece. In whatever house you enter, stay there and take your leave from there. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from the city, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And departing, they began going about among the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. And when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. And taking them with them, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. Well, a couple of things hit me this time for the first time when I started reading this. I said to Jan, you know, I've preached on Luke 10 the first 11 chapters there, a lot, especially as a missions director, because it talks about Jesus sending out the 70 or the 72 others that were there and how they went and prepared the way they went to every city. We'll get there eventually um, that Jesus wanted to go to himself. And what I didn't realize is that in the previous chapter, isn't it crazy how you could read this stuff for years and then you don't see it? But here he starts off with the 12. So the first thing is he sends the 12 out, and then he sends out all the others. I thought, well, this is interesting. It's going in stages. And I'm sitting there thinking about this is going in stages, and here's Jesus sending the 12 out, and they're to go into the villages and heal the sick and cast out demons and they set out to do that. They, they, they go out and they do that. And as they proclaim the kingdom of God, they see miracles happening to them. And, I, and that's exciting. I, I think it's wonderful. You know, that Jesus uh, sends people out and they see the same things happening as they go out to preach the same message that Jesus preached they're seeing the same results that Jesus saw. Now, it is so effective 
that the news about the fame of Jesus that's being spread around these villages even reaches to the leader the, of, 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 the, uh, of the state, you know, Herod, who is the underling under Caesar and Pilate at the time, who is the governor from Rome. He, they control the people by putting their people in charge and uh, feeding their egos. And here's Herod, an evil man. Uh, he's evil in morals. He's, he kills John the Baptist because he doesn't like the way he tells him he has to repent of, of his sin. And, and, uh, and so he's sitting there and he tries to see Jesus and isn't successful. I, I just think it's interesting that the fame of Jesus is reaching non interested parties. <laughs> Evil people are hearing about this. Um, and this is even beyond what John the Baptist was doing. I, I'm, I'm finding that interesting. And the disciples come back having had this success and then Jesus says, we need to have a rest and so we're going to go away. And he, he goes away to Bethsaida. Now we'll get to what happens afterwards next week after he gets to Bethsaida to have his rest, a little time apart with his disciples. But right now, this is interesting. I'm sitting there thinking that there is an overall big picture. This is, this is the thing. God is not a God who, who is willy-nilly. He doesn't work spontaneously. But rather, he has a plan, a purpose, and a vision. He also has the means and the method of how he's going to accomplish this incredible vision. You know what the vision is? He wants all men everywhere, through every generation, through every nation, through every culture, through every language, to hear about the kingdom of God. And his desire is that regardless of where you come from or what your, your sin background is, he has the power to redeem you and save you from sin and establish you in his kingdom. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have a small vision. His vision doesn't get any bigger. I mean, he's not just looking for something to happen in the here and now. He's looking for something to happen throughout the ages. He's, he's, he's got a perspective that is far greater than what we could have. We sometimes think it'd be nice to fill this church. Other churches says it'd be great if we had five services in this church. I remember going to a church in, in Bogota with Jan one time, Bogota, Colombia. And uh, they had, was it four services on a Sunday morning? The first service started at six o'clock. So we had to be there at six o'clock for the first service. And we get there at 6 o'clock. I'm saying, who's going to be here at 6 o'clock in the morning? They were full for every service. I couldn't believe it. Give an altar call, and the people were pouring down to the front. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I was blown away by it. And that was true for every service. When there is a hunger and God is moving, people start coming. And, and, and it's just amazing to see. It's amazing. For me, uh, I, I stand in amazement every time I see God move like that amongst 
the people that have a heart and a yearning to know Jesus. Well, here, that's what God is after, and he wants to see it happen in every language, in every culture, in, in, in every people group, throughout the whole world, through all the ages. Now, that's a vision. And the question is, how does he fulfill this vision? And he's got the means, the method, not just the purpose, not just the vision. He's going to accomplish this. And it's going to start with his son, who is going to die on a cross for the remission of sins. He's going to pay the price that sin requires, which is death, so that he who knows no sin is going to become sin on our behalf. That's an incredible thought, just to think about it. But it means that when he forgives our sin, they're gone. When he forgives, he's on the cross and he's saying, Father, forgive them. They haven't a clue what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. This is the very purpose of God that's going to be fulfilled. But it's not enough just for Jesus to die and to be raised again. There has to be a means by which the world, through every age, through every culture and every language, is going to hear about the love of God that is going to take away the sins of the world. So what does he do? He starts off after, after he has received his own authority from the Father. He receives it at his baptism. In, in, John, in Luke chapter 3, the, the heavens opened up after he's baptized. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. The Father speaks in a loud voice so that everybody can hear. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And then from that moment, he starts to go into his ministry first by overcoming the temptations in the wilderness. And then when he comes out of the wilderness, it says in, in Luke chapter 4, in the power of the Spirit, when he comes out in the power of the Spirit, he starts by doing two things, proclaiming the kingdom of God, that's at hand, and selecting 12 men that he's that are going to follow him, that he's going to train. His whole long-term goal is to see the kingdom of God spread, and he's going to pour his heart into 12. Now, I think if I were to ask some TV evangelist, I'd say, how do you plan to reach the world? They're going to talk about putting up satellites and preaching on TV. <laughs> I always thought that was funny because I've been to enough places in this world where there were no TVs. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's changing now with, uh, with cell phones, but my goodness, I, you know, there are places. That we got a letter from our missionaries in Somalia. You know, Somalia, the pirates that attack ships. <laughs> We have nurses that work in hospitals there to train other nurses and so forth. And she, she wrote back, she said, we started to prepare everybody for the COVID-19 virus. And we started to tell them what they had to do and how to keep everything clean. And we gave them all this stuff. And then when the first supposed cases came, they don't even know, they didn't have any testing kits. 
in in this place. So when they when the when the folks came who had some kind of flu, um, everybody took off. <laughs> The hospital administrators left, the nurses left, everybody left. There were a few doctors left to handle everything, but it was a mess. I mean, they, they had tried to prepare for it, but when the time came, there's such a fear that everybody took off. I, I, I'm sitting there going, this is incredible what's going on in our world. But you, you see, when when God starts to do something, he's going to take 12, only 12, and pour his heart into them. And he's going to teach them how to do this thing about the kingdom of God. And he goes through, and this passage, chapter 9, the first 10 verses here, is a major turning point in this training program, this apprenticeship program that Jesus has with his disciples. You see, the first part, what Jesus is doing, he calls them by incredible means, miracles, the fish that were caught in Luke chapter 5. You might remember that. You might remember that, that when he calls them, he sees where they're from, and, and they're, they're amazed at this man, caught up by the things that who he is and what he says and what he does and the people that are gathering around him. And so they're happy to follow him, but following him is not enough. Observing Jesus is not enough. Now, I don't know why I miss this. I've been, I've been a recruiter and a trainer for missionaries for the last 30 years. I've done my best to recruit new missionaries. I get, I get letters from folks in different parts of the world say, you won't remember this. I remember this was fun one day. This, I get this email. It said, I met one of your missionaries and I remembered when you came to our church in Pennsylvania. It was a Mennonite church that I had gone to. And a little boy who was 14 years old committed his life to become a missionary and set his course and became a missionary in Mozambique where he met some missionaries from Germany that we had sent there. And I'm thinking this is fascinating to me that, that I'm involved in all of this for how many years? For 30 years, over 30 years now of, of, of uh, recruiting and training and sending missionaries, and I don't know how I missed this. When I look at this passage of Scripture, this is what I have read for years. He called the twelve together, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. That's what I read. And having done that, I missed the very critical part of what the teaching and the sending, there is a critical part right between that. And I seem to have in my mind's eye, I don't know why, I had in my mind's eye, what we have to do here is we have to train people, we have to invest in them, we have to teach them, and once we've taught them, then we need to send them out. And that's what we've done. Jan and I have been uh, somewhat successful in doing that. And, and praise God, I'm so grateful that God can overlook our ignorance and still do what's important. <laughs> that's, a, that's sort of the amazing thing, that you could do this for 30 years and miss the critical aspect. 
This is the critical aspect. Let me go back and take a look at you. This is, the, this is what's changing. The disciples to this point have been observers. Everything that they've done, they've followed Jesus around and they have watched Jesus. They have, in their observation of what Jesus is doing, they've been excited about it. They've participated in it. They rowed the boats or sailed the boats. You know, that they have seen Jesus do incredible things. But now he's going to send them out to do it. He's going to send them to do the same things. This is interesting. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, he says, The things that I do, you shall do also, and greater things than these will you do because I go to the Father. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that's, that's amazing. Greater things. I'm, I'm going to do things. And in a sense, with the internet and everything else that we're doing these days, jet travel and so forth, we have done amazing things in world missions. Not just Jan and I, but I mean, world missions as a whole, all the different missionary efforts that are going out from the church around the world to the lost people in our world. It is absolutely astonishing to see the things that God is doing. Um, don't get me going there. I want to lecture you on what God is doing in the world today, <laughs> which is wonderful. But this is the key thing that I missed. It says here, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And then he sends them out. See, the critical aspect is not just being taught and then going. In between the teaching and the going is the receiving of authority. It doesn't do us any good to go in just teaching if we haven't got the authority and the power to do what the kingdom of God is about. I'm sitting there going... How did I miss it? How did I miss seeing that there's this important step where if we are going to be successful in anything that we do in the kingdom of God, if we are going to bring about God's answers uh, to the needs in this world, then I need, I need, you need, we all need here to have the authority to do it. We need to have the power to do it. Think about this. Forgiving sins is a powerful thing, but if I don't have the authority to forgive sins, how will they be forgiven? If I don't have the power to forgive sins, how will they be forgiven? Forget about all the things when it comes to praying for the sick or casting out demons or whatever else it is that we face in a world that is so full of evil and destruction and darkness, when it comes to that, if the church is going to be light, then we need to have the authority from God, from God. Not our authority, not the authority of, of a pastor in a church. We need the authority that God gives us in order to speak into a situation and bring kingdom life and kingdom values to bear in that situation. I'm sitting there thinking, how did you do this, Jesus? How did you give authority? 
How did you give them power? What, 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 what did you do? I mean, how, how did you? It doesn't tell me. It just says he gave it to them. And I'm sitting there scratching my head. And after about two days this last week, I'm scratching my head. How did Jesus, how did you do that? You, you tell me, how did you do it? Because however you did it, that's how I want to do it too. I mean, if I could only know how you did it, then I'd know what to ask for. And I'd know what to give. <laughs> so I was sitting there talking to Jad the other day. <laughs> I love my wife. <laughs> Sitting there talking. I said, How did Jesus do it? How did Jesus do it? And he said, Well, she said, Well, I don't know. She's just sort of talking off the top of her head. I don't know. Maybe he laid hands on them. Maybe he had some kind of ritual. I said, No, no, no. You don't get something by a ritual. How did it happen? And then she looked at me and she said, He spoke it. And I went, how could I be so stupid? How could I be so stupid? Of course he spoke it. The whole context beginning in Luke chapter 8, where it talks about the sower and the seed. The sower sows the seed. The seed is the word of God. How often, I was looking this up, how often does Jesus say, I told you, I have said to you, I spoke to you. I didn't realize he said that so often. He's constantly talking about how he is speaking and what happens when he speaks. He imparts not just the word of God, but when the word of God comes and enters into a heart that is good soil, that's open to receiving the word that he speaks, what happens? The result of the word of God entering into our hearts and into our minds is that we receive faith. Faith is the result of God's word entering into our lives. Faith, what does it say in Romans? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. I'm sitting there going, of course he spoke. When Jesus, who has all authority... The Holy Spirit came in fullness upon him when he speaks and says, I give you, Rosa, the authority. That word spoken by Jesus, heard through my ears, goes into my heart, creates the faith that is necessary where I say I have the authority. And if I have the authority because Jesus spoke it to me, Demons will flee. They have no right to stand up against the name of Jesus. But it happens because there is faith that comes into my life. There is a presence of faith in my heart that comes by the words that God speaks. So, of course, when he says, I give you authority to do this in my name, I give you the authority over sickness... It's not something that comes from me. It's not something that I dream up. It's not something that I conjure up. It's not a ritual. It is a gift 
from my heavenly Father in heaven who says that he's giving me something that I don't have in my own natural strength or in my own natural abilities. Wow. See, the, the key here wasn't just being taught. You need to have some teaching because the kingdom of God is vastly different from the kingdoms of this world. If I don't know something about the kingdom of God, then I won't know things about humility and perseverance and patience and suffering and, and all these things that are a part of God's kingdom. I don't know anything about it. And I'm not going to know how to dwell in the kingdom with righteousness and peace and joy because all of that occurs in the Holy Spirit. Doesn't occur naturally. In the world, you have tribulation. That's what you have in the world. And what does Jesus say? Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. The whole focus, this is incredible to me, is that Jesus speaks and before he sends them out, he gives them something that is powerful and meaningful that can change everything. Think about that. I love our prayer times. We had some wonderful prayers this morning. Wonderful prayers. I'm amen to everybody right through it. It's wonderful. And I'm sitting here thinking, Lord Jesus, let these prayers be prayed with authority in the heavenly realm. Why? Because if God hears it, from a pew where just a dozen of us are seated here and, and searching and seeking God and he hears it, he can change what's happening in Los Angeles or Chicago or New York. He can do it. We don't have to be there in order for God to work in those places. If we have authority, we have authority from heaven and we have power, we may not have the strongest bodies, we may not have the, the, the greatest abilities to do things, but when we pray, we can pray with a different kind of authority. That should change our prayer lives. To think that God gives us authority and God gives us power that we can wield on our knees where nobody else can see it. Wow. I'm sitting there saying, God, how, how, how do I get into that? <laughs> we'll find it in Luke chapter 11, but I'll give you just a little, you ask for it. <laughs> it's that simple. It's that simple, we ask. I, I, I see how the fame of Jesus is spread abroad not because Jesus is doing something, but because his disciples are doing something. And that principle still applies today. That Jesus in us is doing something in our world. In and through us, he does something in our world, which is absolutely astonishing. And the fame of Jesus is going to spread to every level of society. Not because of us being something special or having position 
in this world, but because in our seeking and searching to know Jesus above all else, he imparts something into our lives of his authority and his power. And we have the right to use it. That is an absolutely astonishing. See, they went from being observers of Jesus and learning how Jesus did things by observing that, seeing how he did it, to being participants and doing it the way Jesus did it. The switch happens in chapter 9. This event where Jesus not only has been teaching them, not only instructing them about faith and about how, how they live, it wasn't just instruction, but that little moment where he imparts authority and power into their lives, they go out and do what Jesus did. That is the switch. That is the moment where they leave just coming to learn to where they're participating in the kingdom of God. You know, there's really no difference between the other 12 or the 72 and you and me. We have the same right to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I just need authority and power if I'm going to be a part of this kingdom of God that's going to expand and, and I can do whatever it is that you call me to do. I want to be a part of that. I, I, I don't want to be aimless, but I want to be a part of the big picture. In my generation, I want to be a part of this big picture of the great vision. I want to be that little bit that is critical for here and now in my community. And we can be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, I pray that as we think about these things and look at our own lives, Lord, I, I see that I need uh, more authority and more power, not, not in a worldly sense, but in a godly sense. Authority that we can speak life and health and goodness into dark places and have the wisdom to know which words that we can speak that will bring forth life words that are going to encourage and strengthen and set people free from fear and doubt, words that are going to impart faith by the proclamation of the things that we know to be true in you. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would do that in and through us, starting today, that we wouldn't just be hearers, but in order to be doers of the word, we would have the authority and the power that's necessary to accomplish the things that you require us to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's sing a final hymn.
Um, that hymn is uh, Victory in Jesus, number 426.